Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Today is an important day, like 9-11, Pearl Harbor. Okay, not like that, but it's important to me because we are going to cover one of the most life-changing concepts there is. If, if, not, if not the way, this is uh, pretty fucking close. And typically, I, you know, I prepare a bunch for these podcasts. I, I read the book. I make detailed notes. I make a second note file. I go back and add relevant stories. And I really try to try to honor the authors. Well, except for Dan Pink. I'm, I'm still sorry about what I said about Al Gore. Um, I actually I submitted a contact us request to his website and sent him my podcast link. And then I was like, I'm so sorry for what I said. And then he responded so professionally. He's like, I'll try to check out your podcast. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. I'm sorry, Dan Pink. I still respect you as a man. However, last night, I walked in the spirit world with my best friends for life. I woke up kind of so hungover. I had to I had to stop at a gas station to get a monster in a in a slim gym. Uh, I've got some survival water in my car, so I get a case of water and just keep it in my car. Cause you know it's amazing how often you're like, oh, I'm so fucking thirsty. If only I had water, and then and then you do. So I had to dig in, drink two survival bottles, and and just like breathe out my mouth. Um, and, and it's fucking fine because I'm an adult. I've got a good job. I'm, I'm relatively close to the concept of successful. So, you know, I can do what I please and God damn it. I pleased last night. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm driving back home. I'm, I'm fucking breathing through my, through my mouth. You know, I'm not turning my head too quickly. You know, I will for sure fucking vomit in my car. And, you know, another rule of being an adult is if you vomit in your car, you have to clean it up. And so, you know, I'm still trying to hold the line, though. As Jocko would say, I'm trying to practice unmitigated daily discipline in all things. So I'm listening to an audiobook, even though I'm, I'm fucking so hungover. It's all my fault, I know. But it's about chaos theory, which um, is basically like the mathematical discipline that studies the concept of the butterfly effect so if you know it's a kind of a fictional concept the butterfly effect is where a butterfly flaps its wings and then that tiny little perturbation in the atmosphere creates a hurricane across the ocean but what it's really saying and we're gonna dig into this book I gotta like fucking understand it first because I'm freaking almost like pulling over my brains exploding but um, it this, this guy is trying to model the weather, and he found that in his model, if so, his model went out to six decimal points. But he found out if he if he just like started the experiment halfway through and only had three decimal points versus the six, so like minutely different, the weather you know theoretically should be exactly the fucking same or at like pretty close like really really close and it was wildly different and so chaos theory is the study of that but you know I'm, I'm trying to hold the line i'm sick i'm listening to this audiobook and then he hits me with this the author hits me with this quote you know basically like illustrating that throughout history certain people have understood chaos theory in various forms but no one realized it because it was so unintuitive and he hits me with this for want of a nail the shoe was lost, and it's talking about a horseshoe. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. And I fucking paused the book, and I'm still like, you know, just like fucking, oh, yeah. And and I just 
thought about that, about what that means, about how, like, fucking, that's not even a joke. Like, horseshoe nails could be the difference between success and failure in battle. And I just imagine these these fucking commanders of old learning these these basically six sigma processes uh but with the currency of men's lives and my mind was blown i'm driving and i just said fuck it i you know i normally spend a bunch of time fuck it i'm recording the 80 20 principle podcast today and i discarded my previous process like a broken but not beaten man discards the husk of weakness and stands up to fight for freedom of justice so i'll try to try to honor the author richard coke k-o-c-h i'm gonna just call it cock because i'm a child but uh but god damn it i have lived this principle for seven years i have legit thought about the 80-20 principle every single day for seven years. So I don't need some goddamn exhaustive preparation. Let's go. Imagine you're a peasant in 1400s. Uh, your life is pretty much horrible. Um, you know, capitalism hasn't arrived yet to give you the right to pursue any economically viable path and it has not created a forest fire of value that ripped humanity from the dark ages not yet at that time lords were given land to farm by the king so there was the king and then there were lords and uh these they you know they, they kind of loosely engaged in trade so you know some value was created but it was it was like only the lords but since there weren't defined enough laws, you know, especially around contracts and just the fact that royalty was like kind of exempt from any law, like I mean, in, unless they scalped another noble at a party, they were like, ah, yeah, 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 you can't prove it, and they're like, yeah, yeah you, you killed everybody in the village, you're like, ah, no, and then they'd get away with it. So your life sucks. There's legit zero reason to innovate or do things more effectively because, I mean, you aren't even paid in currency. You are you're paid in being allowed to live there and like maybe take enough food to feed your family. So, you know, you fill your time with drinking, fighting, fucking having crazy ass teeth. And then you hear the whispers about the fairies, these fantastical stories about all-knowing creatures living in the forest who will answer any question you ask. So one day after, after your Lord whipped you because he was hammered at 9 a.m. and you coughed near him, you leave. You walk to find the fairies, but you don't exactly escape because you aren't exactly a slave, but I mean, bitch, you came with the property, so like, you're, you aren't exactly free. But you, you walk deep in the woods, you know, it gets colder, darker, shapeless forms swirl around you. And finally, you find the fairies. You meet the leader who, you know, since you basically have no education and never seen midgets before, it's actually just a tribe of midgets, but uh, hey, whatever. And, and you ask them for the knowledge to lift yourself out of this situation for the secret to success. And this, this midget lord mutters softly and, and bestows his knowledge on you. And it is conceivable that this would come in the form of a principle. And anyone in possession of that principle, their life would be forever changed. Day and night, black and white, pre-lifting and post-lifting. And I put forth, we are about to discuss a principle worthy of the fairies. One so fucking life-changing that I have thought about it every day for the last seven years. The 80-20 principle. And our author, Richard Koch, agrees. He has two quotes I'm gonna throw out here. He says right off the bat, the 80-20 principle can and should be used by every intelligent person in their daily life, by every organization, and by every social group and form of society. Holy shit, Mr. Cock, that, Jesus Christ, that's very strong. I agree. This book is written from a burning conviction, validated in personal and business experience, that this principle is one of the best ways of dealing with and transcending the pressures of modern life. Now, where I made fun of Dan Pink, 
last podcast for you know, getting a little crazy with you know with a little work so hard. Uh, I'm totally on board, Mr. Cock. So the fairies, me, Richard Cock, all believe this. So strap in, get your dicks ready. It's time to fuck. Now we begin with intuition. Our intuition is sometimes really good. You know, we saw this on episode three, the Marine Hunter book. You know, think about what we are good at intuiting. You know, you're driving along and you're, there's a car in front of you in the left lane, you're in the right lane. And that car doesn't signal, but slows down slightly and the, the driver turns their head, checking their blind spot. Now, if you've driven for any length of time, that is just automatic. You'll you'll just move out of the way. You're like, oh, this bitch just is not using his turn signal. Well, fuck this guy, but whatever. And you know, it, it becomes so routine that I mean, you don't even think about it. But think of the fucking intuition, the pattern recognition, the the seeing that guy's fucking face turning his head, and then you know, and then predicting, oh, he's going to change lanes. And, you know, it's, it's, it ends up just being automatic. Um, you know, girls seem to have a pretty intuitive sense, a pretty good intuition of when guys are interested in them. I don't know if this always applies the other way around. Um, uh, I, I, guys have been known to be a little oblivious. And one time long, long ago, before I was happily married, uh, a girl gave me her number. Um, you know, I, but at the time I was not a, a self-actualized man. And, uh, I was like, you know, we were, we were sitting at the, at the, the table in the cafeteria at DePaul. She gave me her number. I think it was, maybe it was even a little heart on it. And, and I, me being an absolute idiot, I remember being like, well, well, that's, that's really nice of her. Maybe I'll text her and we can study. Um, uh, my intuition was not good. So that might not be a good example, but but girls seem to know that intuition. But regardless, many times our intuition is fucking great. But sometimes, uh, as chaos theory, which I first have to learn about, but then we will cover, tells us, sometimes our intuition is shitty. Sometimes it's beyond shitty. Sometimes it's the opposite of good, bad. Uh, one of those intuitions is about systems which actually if you think about it basically everything in life is a system so basically life and that intuition is that everything is roughly equally important that you know 50% of inputs get us roughly 50% of outputs uh, that that everything is roughly the same value and um, you know chaos theory which I don't know anything about, but it, it talks about this basically. It it um, They call it the sensitive dependence on initial conditions, basically the butterfly effect. Basically a small lead early on can turn into a larger or dominant position later on. I mean, think of investing in your 20s. Google it if you haven't, but there's some crazy ass statistic where like if you invest from 20 to 35 and you, you put in like I don't know, a thousand bucks and then you stop at 35 versus if you start investing at like 40 and you, you do triple the amount. And this these numbers aren't right, but the principle is correct. Um, if you do triple the amount, you'll have to do it from like 40 to 65 and you'll still end up with less money because you got in early when you were 20 and compound interest kicked in. Uh, there's an example of apparently if there's two goldfish in a pond, uh, Hold on, hold on, got a, got a burp here. Nope, nope, it passed. If there's two goldfish in a pond and one is slightly bigger, that goldfish will grow disproportionately bigger because it will it'll use its slight advantage to enslave the other goldfish. Um, but these observations regarding sensitive dependence don't exactly illustrate the 80-20 principle since the 80-20 principle is more of like a snapshot. But it basically shows us that the universe hates balance, which is a very non-intuitive concept. So just a few examples, and then we will dive into what is this, this principle of old that we are learning about. Uh, movies. So two e economists, 
studied 300 movies over 18 months, and they found that four movies, 1.3%, earned 80% of box office revenues. I mean, think about that shit. So, you know, we're talking about 80, 20, and we'll get into exactly what that means. But that's 1.3% of movies producing, you know, fucking 80% of the revenues. And uh, Mr. Cock says, uh, it transpires that moviegoers behave just like gas particles in random motion. They produce a predictably unbalanced result. Word of mouth from reviews and the first audiences determine whether the second set of audiences will be large or small, which determines the next set, and so on and so on. Another thing that we just assume is equal is that every customer is worth the same to your business. That every task you do during the workday is equally important. That if you think about the grocery store, like, yeah, we kind of maybe intuitively know that some things are bought more than others. But I would put forth that a small amount, the top 15 sellers of the grocery store's uh, quantities is the disproportionate amount of their revenue. Because... A 50-50 split is not how the world works. Uh, the the 51%, 49% split is inherently unstable and, and, and tends to gravitate towards like a 95-5 split. And so what all that shit means is that the 80-20 principle tells us that at any one moment, a majority of of a phenomenon will be explained or caused by a minority of the actors participating in the phenomenon. So 80% of the results come from 20% of the causes. A few things are super fucking important, most aren't. So let's get a, let's get a real definition. We've been circling around this for a second here, but defining the 80-20 principle. Uh, so the 80-20 principle asserts, again, that the minority of causes, inputs, or effort usually lead to a majority of results, outputs, or rewards. So 20% of your sales reps make 80% of your sales. A few customers are responsible for the majority of your revenue. A few customers are responsible for the majority of your headaches. Hopefully those two don't overlap and you can just fire the shitty ones that aren't worth very much. You know, he says at home, 20% of your carpets likely get 80% of the wear and tear. Think about that. Think of the rooms in your house. Where do you spend the majority of your time? I would guess for like for me, it is my office, my bedroom, and then some in the gym. And like I briefly go in the kitchen i briefly go in the great room like i never uh go into our guest room that distribution the minority causing the majority is what we are going to goddamn discuss today it all began with some italian man uh, vilfredo pareto in 1897 this bitch was an italian economist and he was studying wealth and he realized that a small portion of the people had the majority of wealth. And apparently he went on this like long ass sociological explanation that's super fucking complicated. And like, though he discovered the goddamn 80-20 principle, he did not follow his own advice. And his, his sociological treatise was so boring that no one fucking noticed and then the people who did notice were just like fascists and then they tried to use it for their uh, like eugenics program and shit and so he, he basically he discovered he discovered the holy grail and and, he, and and no one fucking cared so this principle went dormant for 50 years and then in the 1950s some statistician at harvard uh, kind of started picking it up and then ultimately IBM and then the computer revolution Really started cementing that hey this shit is real this this distribution is Is, is everywhere because IBM found out that Okay, so you, they built all these computers and so initially they were just making all parts of the computer equally efficient however they realized that users spent 80% of their time on a 
few applications. So 20% of the applications on the computer was where users spent the majority of their time. So IBM was able to hack this concept. They don't have, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to make everything equally efficient. If you make the, the few things that the users fucking care about super efficient, then that gets you most of the damn way. So I think we've defined the 80-20 principle now, but we need to ask, you know, why is it, why is it so important? And, you know, on the surface, it seems simple, but if you deeply fucking think about it and understand it, you'll see it everywhere. Because, you know, we expect that all causes will have roughly the same significance. All customers equally valuable. All products at a company, uh, you know, being worth the same. If you have a hundred products that you, you well, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's like some differences in sales, but like, I bet it's, I bet it's pretty, it's pretty spread across our hundred products. You know, that, that every dollar of revenue will be worth the same. That one university is as good as the other. But the 80-20 principle puts forth that when we know the true relationship, we are likely to be very surprised at how these imbalances play out. He says it will exceed our prior estimates. And we can, we can greatly improve our daily lives um, because he says at, at the heart of this is substitution. So uh, resources that have weak effects in any particular use are not used or they're used way more sparingly and resources that have powerful effects are used as much as possible. So I think a good example of not doing this on my part is uh, we just, the wife and I just got a barn delivered because we live out in the middle of nowhere. She wanted a barn. She stress bought a barn, whatever. I'm cool with it. And uh, these, and we, but we had this shitty old barn that came with the house, 30 years old, covered in shit, horrible, rusted through, like the, not even watertight. And we had to take it down. And so she uh, has a very high risk tolerance for some things and like extremely low for other things. Like I would fucking work a 100% commission sales job and did. And she was like freaking out. But then she went out, she just used a chainsaw and like cut down a bunch of the barn. And I used a sledgehammer. So I like labored for for like eight hours, listening to metal, just getting so fired up and, and knocked half of it down. And then she labored for like two hours and just chainsawed it. And uh, I should have followed my own advice or what I'm saying is a good idea and uh, focused on the 20%. Uh, we should find a few things that work fantastically well. We should identify them, cultivate them, multiply them. At the same time, the waste, the majority of things will always prove to be low value to man and beast, as he says, and should be abandoned or greatly reduced. I mean, what a good quote. Anytime you can say man and beast, uh, I'm down. So we're going to make a distinction between 80-20 analysis and 80-20 thinking. We're going to go through a few examples that he lays out. I'm going to hit a couple examples, a couple stories of how it's been impactful in my life. Then we're going to wrap this bitch up. So repetition builds memory here. So we're going to define this again, the 80-20 principle. The 80-20 principle states that there is an inbuilt imbalance between causes and results, inputs and outputs, effort and reward. Typically, causes, inputs, or efforts are divided into two categories, the vital few and the trivial many. Results, outputs, and rewards are derived from a small proportion of the causes, inputs, or effort aimed at producing the results. So, I mean, summarizing that, Moshe is a waste of time but a few things are really fucking important. Find those few things. On page 22, he has some good bar charts and shit. Um, imagine there's a company that has 100 products. Okay, so 100 products. And they look at the top 20 most profitable products. 
Now, the 80-20 distribution would say that those top 20 most profitable products will probably be responsible for about 80% of all profits. So he has two bar graphs next to each other by the damn book. And and again, you know, that's a that's an example. And this is more of a thought process because, yeah, if you did the exact analysis on your company, you know, it might be uh, the top 10 out of 100 products generate 68% of your total revenue. So it's it's just a benchmark. It's a rule of thumb. But so 80-20 analysis, what is that? Well, this is 80-20 analysis is like a precise quantitative uh, like statistical thing where you know you have two sets of data one set is always the universe of people or objects you know usually a hundred or more that that could be turned into a percentage of results or outputs so you know basically you you graph inputs on one side sales reps and then you graph outputs on the other side sales and you examine the relationship between what sales reps generated what sales and he says that most many all times you will find that a few sales reps are real fucking good most are not good and they should be trained up or kicked off and you should triple down in your superstars and I think there's some there's some objections that are reasonable of, you know, you don't want to have too concentrated of a risk, but we're going to, we're going to present his side first and then we'll, and then we'll dig into some objections that, that I might have. And I've actually, I actually, um, I got, I got coached by a Six Sigma black belt, someone that owns the Six Sigma black belt. I can't remember how the fuck she said that I, she's supposed to say it because I have a black belt at Taekwondo. And so I always used to say, I have a Taekwondo black belt or I am a black belt. And um, she said something else, but whatever. I am a Six Sigma black belt. On my individual development program uh, last year, I was like, well, I need to learn my process. Uh, who's, who's good at process? Close my eyes, 80-20 principle, Mark Twain quote, with ignorance and arrogance, success is assured. Pointed at the Six Sigma black belt, signed up for it. And then I'm like, oh, God damn it. This is hard as shit. And I had to like reteach myself statistics. Um, really complicated, lots of bullshit, I mean, all good stuff. Um, but the 80-20 on the Six Sigma program is the 80-20 principle. They go in, they figure out what's real fucking important, and they design the process around that, maximize that, triple it, quadruple it. And then the stuff that's wasteful, you know, like a lot of times they, they talked about the seven wastes. So, you know, one of those is um, like movement, transportation. So imagine that you have, a, if you have a factory and you have you have two machines, one that, or let's say you have three machines, okay? And, um, you know, one takes the raw materials and makes them into the middle of the road. And then the, the next one takes it and makes it into like the final product. And then the third machine uh, polishes it, whatever. A waste would be, if you had uh, a warehouse and you had that one machine, uh, machine one at the front of the warehouse, you had machine three right next to it, and then you had to walk super far for machine two. So, you know, that transportation cost, that's useless, that's a fucking waste. So what you do is you set up machine one, then right next to it you have machine two, then right next to it you have machine three, and then you just poop them bitches from machine to machine to machine with no wasted time. So they go way deeper than that but the 80 20 on the on the six sigma is the 80 20 principle and you know we're going to cover a bunch of uses but an interesting example that he gives is, is imagine that you are you have a hundred friends and um, they all drink beer and you graft the beer drinking habits of those 100 friends what he suggests and what he actually did he graphed his friends i think just go with it we trust mr cock he found that, you know, 20%, so the top 20 of those beer drinkers drank 80% of, of the beer. And so if you're a brewery, now you can say, hey, 
what's what are those what are those top 20 alcoholics have in common and it's like addiction uh sadness and then you know you can market to them like do you feel sad do you just need your next beer come to my brewery and and um i i'm kind of aware that this is a little bit of a dichotomy because with the internet now there's there's a concept called the long tail meaning that you know before like if you're making a movie you had to make a hit to, to for something to be economically viable uh, but now if you can sell to the entire internet if you're if you're super niche if you're that beekeeper from whatever podcast i use that as an example and you own a beekeeping business and you have instructional videos you've got the beekeeping suit you've got the smoke thing you have the bee nook and you and you blast that to the to everybody on the internet and intelligently market you know you can run a business that was impossible before so it's a little bit of a dichotomy and i've been actually not fully thought that through and don't quite understand if it's a contradiction or what but a lot of times the 80 20 principle is true sometimes the long tail of the internet's true you just have them in your mind we're going to cover the long tail one day but um regardless i'm still fucking on board with this shit so that was 80-20 analysis. That's like a sitting down Excel spreadsheet, truly doing analysis. But he, he makes the distinction between that, which is kind of hard to do, pretty fucking boring. Most people are not natural analysts. And he says, well, a, yes, analysis is important. And sometimes it's really important. But what you should also strive to cultivate is 80-20 thinking. And that is that most important decisions have really never been made with analysis and never will be. We need to retrain our intuition and at least ask the question. So you approach a new situation. Is it possible that this is an 80-20 distribution? Find the vital few. And you don't have to do a bunch of analysis, but like, let's, let's think through rugby. Okay, we sucked at rugby, but that was just out of choice because we just wanted to commit violence. And, um, but if you think about rugby, okay, you break up in the most important skills. Uh, tackling is one, passing is another, uh, teamwork is another, and then there's a whole bunch of skills. Oh, and maybe conditioning is one. And then, you know, if you're a coach, you kind of make the, the mental calculus. Um, how are we going to play? What is our strategy going to be? And maybe you decide that conditioning, ah, we're not going to do that. We are going to practice tackling and we're all going to take steroids. It gets so fucking huge. And then we're never going to pass, but we are just going to, we're just going to bum rush, just, just goddamn maul our way across the field. Another thought, which is equally valuable is if, if you got a bunch of small little chickens, you say, you know, we're going to do conditioning and we're going to focus on passing and teamwork. That's our 20%. And there's no right or wrong answer. But if you start with everything is the same importance, you're going to get this middle of the road piece of shit solution that he was going to die. He, he says, in the cacophony of noise of daily life, find the few things that matter. Those vital few pieces screaming through the noise and oh, i sure love screaming and this turns conventional wisdom upside down and he takes this pretty far that you know we need to celebrate exceptional productivity we need to look for the shortcut you know bill gates apparently i don't know if i can said uh, he hires lazy programmers meaning that you you want these uh you want somebody who's not going to work so fucking hard who's just going to figure out the smartest way to do it he says, you know, we need to be selective. We need to delegate or outsource. And he leaves it with, there are no boundaries to 80-20. This shit applies to everything. Let's dig into a few disciplines where our great hero, Richard Koch, outlines the 80-20 principle. And then we'll jump into a few personal examples on my end. Business. 80-20 is still the best kept secret of business. Think about a market. Think about a market with, I don't know, 10 firms that are all reasonably competent. One or two are going to be owning the whole market. And it, it, you know, if, if you are one of those newcomers, that really implies how you need to set up your strategy. Because if you just try to copy 
the the big people you know you're gonna be outspent and you're gonna get crushed so you need to be maneuverable you need to figure out like what are the few things that I can do better than they can and then and then go in and that's that's how your strategy is um, he talks about re-implications of this that you need to operate where you can generate the highest revenue with the least effort second is it is always possible to make more money by focusing only on those markets and customer segments where the largest money is generated now uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of caveat this where we used to, in the investment world, we used to say that what's the quickest way to generate a lot of wealth, a concentrated position, what he's talking about. What is the quickest way to lose a lot of wealth, a concentrated position. So sometimes if you're thinking about it correctly, I personally think that you, sometimes you just, you need to consciously accept less good average returns like less good probable returns to to lower the overall risk but regardless what he's saying is right um you know triple down on the shit that's working and the third rule for business that he he says is every company can reduce inequality of output and reward within the firm make things more efficient you know find the super important things in your business and make them fucking great and ignore the rest you know, uh, are, are you spending a bunch of your mental energy on an IT department? Well, you can just go to a vendor and just pay them to fucking handle all your IT. Okay, well think about that. If it's cheaper and you don't even have to think about it, why wouldn't you do that? You know, maybe, maybe you need to have an accountant on hand or maybe you fucking pay for an outsourced accountant until you get big enough, um, you know same thing a lot of people do this with like a lawyer you know you don't unless you're huge you don't have a lawyer on the, on staff you have a lawyer on retainer and you pay him monthly i think the the last thing i'll i'll highlight that he brings up with with business is that you want to look for irregular insights and see if it's an 80 20 distribution so the great and slightly annoying tim ferris uh, wrote a book called the four hour work week and um, it's a it was a, it was a, actually a really good book, um, and and what he would do is he would try to find outliers. You know who has figured this out the best? Like where does shit look weird? And then he would go and and he would interview them and say, tell me exactly what you're fucking doing, because a lot of times there's this conventional wisdom, this conventional intuition about how we need to do something, but like we just discussed. Intuition is stupid when it comes to this uh, non-linearity and, and this this distribution. And so he would go and he'd sniff out these outliers and say, bitch, tell me what you're doing. And then he would copy and steal and then he'd surpass everybody who's doing the conventional wisdom. Um, I had an old boss who said that uh, in the investment world, so, you know, I was going out and trying to find clients. He said that uh, your goal, you want to find a bleeder. And that's kind of like a insensitive term, but it's it's like a, I think of a manufacturing plant with with 250 workers. They've all been there for 30 years. The plant closes down, they retire. Now they have a 401k that they can roll into an IRA. You help one of them, you help another one, you help another one. All of a sudden, you get 200 clients. Okay, that is the irregular insight that you need to look for less of just this brute force just call 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 easier said than done but that's how it is goddamn done the next arena that we will discuss is success so he starts with why your strategy is wrong unless your firm is very small and simple it is almost certainly true that you can make at least 80% of your profits and cash in 20% of your activity and in 20% of your revenues. And then I'm paraphrasing him, but see, he says, triple down on this shit. That brings up segmentation. That makes sense. If you look at your clients and your, your top eight clients are all real estate management companies. Hey, bitch, how about you fucking triple down on real estate management companies? Um, 
there's some good kind of detailed business analysis. Uh, just just read the damn book. And then under the success concept, uh, he says that simple is beautiful. And I have a note that says read that quote, but I don't have the book. So I'm going to just uh, make up a quote. Um, Albert Einstein once said that the mark of genius and this is actually a real quote. I'm just I'm just digging back in the file. Uh, the mark of genius is being able to explain something complex simply, and I have found that a lot in the investment world, and even this fucking podcast. Like I, I my goal is to to take just concepts that just bend my mind and just just rip my soul in half, and then distill them down. So you know you're out there mowing your lawn, kind of drunk. You know, is it a DUI? Is it not a DUI? I don't know. But you're you know you're, you're understanding some of this just absolutely fucking mind-blowing shit so uh, simple is beautiful and a good plan executed now is better than a perfect plan next week general patent now this really hit home for me because at, at work um, I got voluntold that I was managing this this convoluted ass process where we are you know we're, we're re all these renewals and basically I had to be in charge of operationally managing it all and I, I basically I went in and I took it from like 57 steps to like 12 and it should it should actually be five but our technology is, is not is standing in the way but you know this thing had been just this, this complex cancerous handed from person to person hot potato that I went in I just, just cooked it in the oven and then goddamn we're having baked potatoes tonight uh, decision making you know, not not very many decisions are actually important if you think about that so there's a few decisions that you make that are real real important but then most are unimportant so you know he says do not agonize over the unimportant decisions and above all don't conduct expensive analysis if possible just delegate them all and if you can't just decide which one like 51 percent chance of being correct and just just go and also on that decision making concept think about so you're you're trying to make a decision you're gathering some data well i would bet that 20 percent of the data out there gives you an 80 percent picture so if you can if you can look at at a quick thin slice of the data in six minutes get you 80 percent of the way there on an unimportant decision that doesn't even really matter, you're like 62% sure that this is the best way, just go. There's no, you know, that strategy is far better than circle jerking around in some tribal council for six weeks and, and dealing with the opportunity cost of suffering with the pain that that decision is trying to fix. The vital few. Uh, a little pithy title here. The vital few give success to you. And um, just going through this book, and interestingly, I have a note here that I wrote in about 2012 with no context. I don't know what this means, but it says, give bonuses to my hoes. <laughs> and I legit have no idea what I meant. I've never and most likely will never possess hoes, so I don't fucking know. And to illustrate this point, there's a, there's a quote from some Prussian general that I'm, I'm going to summarize. But basically, he says there's four types of commanders. You know, one's the stupid and lazy. You don't want him. Another is the hardworking and intelligent. He's good. He's going to be a good staff officer. He's going to be detail-oriented. He's going to get it done. Then there's the uh, some uh, one other one. But then he says what you want is you want the lazy and intelligent that has command written all over him now we get into a chapter here called intelligent and lazy beginning with that quote saying that's what we want to be and mr cox starts it off with the best introduction i've ever fucking read he says this chapter is for the truly ambitious if you do not suffer from the insecurity that feels the desire to be rich move on to chapter 15 but if you want to win the rat race here is some advice speak to me mr cock uh, the first concept is that imbalance is rampant in professional success so think about that 
So think of movie directors. Uh, in 1995, Steven Spielberg made $195 million. The second place guy didn't make that, made probably like 30. The 25th place guy probably made like 80 grand. And this is, I think, known as the superstar effect. And basically, the distribution of incomes for superstars is even more imbalanced than the population as a whole. So if you have a if you have a desire to just be a be a god among men, not saying I do, not saying I don't, but um, Grant Cardone, very very annoying sales trainer. He's like, yeah baby, yeah baby, buy my sales training baby. I just I dislike him as a person and a businessman, but he has a good quote because I'm open, and he says that it it sucks almost as much to be the best as it does to be good. Think about that. So if you're working your job and it kind of sucks to be good, well, it, it kind of sucks just like a slight bit more to be the best and then you get to take advantage of this superstar effect. Mr. Cock says, what does all this mean for the ambitious? Well, he gives a bunch of shit, read the book, but a few highlights that I like um, he said, specialize or create a very small niche. Develop a core skill. Um, he says, become self-employed early in your career. I think I think that's a little bit of survivorship bias because he was self-employed. You know, it's, it's like you ask a, a lottery winner, so what'd you do to win? You know, that's a crazy example, but it's like, well, you know, I, I put on a blue shirt and, you know, I spun around in circles 20 times and I rubbed my ass on the wall. I'm like, oh God, cool. And then, and then you do that and then you know, it really, they, they just got lucky. So I think that's a reasonable concept, but sometimes, you know, that doesn't work and, and you can be very well off working a job you like, getting a good salary and just dumping money in investments. And then he says, use outside contractors for everything but your core skill. We've kind of talked about that. Time. Okay, so we now know this 80-20 principle thing pretty well. So we know that a few things we spend time on are going to be worth the majority of the success of our week. So, four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss. What he that that title, actually, what it really means, it's so clever. He's such a clever marketer guy. But what what that title really means is distill everything down to the twenty percent. And he took his big business, distilled it down to just the the most important, and then outsourced everything else. And it was. He was spending about four hours a week on this business and it was giving him like passive income. Um, you know, I, I actually read that book and we'll talk about some of my objections in general, but you know, I think the goal is not to work less, the goal is to work efficiently. And so, um, you know, you can, if you don't want to just work four hours and just like lay around in bed and be sad like Tim Ferriss, then what the principle you can take from that is point your time at the highest leverage activities. So there's a lot more shit on that, but uh, you know, the goal is not to manage your time better. The goal is to do things that are important. Money. He says money is easy to multiply. Compound interest. Think about that. Uh, we did the chessboard example in episode one, but basically um, the 80-20 on compound interest is time. So you know, over a long period of time, being a little bit ahead and putting money in, putting money in that compounds and it grows and it grows and it grows to an amount that we can't really intuitively understand. So uh, invest early, scroll your money away and then wait a shitload of time and you'll be rich as hell. And then to get money, he says, uh, pursue those few things where you are amazingly better than others and that you enjoy the most. He goes deep into his, into his investment philosophy, and like I, I mostly agree with that. I, I am schooled in the in the modern portfolio theory a little bit, but um, I can buy it, dog. Read the book. And then regarding money, the same concept we just talked about, this compound interest, this just beast that you can get growing for you, he says that wealth from investment can dwarf wealth from working. Um, you know, he did a couple crazy-ass investments that turns out he was right and I'm not sure I would have done those but you know his principles is is good so you know yeah you want to have a, a day job 
and maybe, maybe you, hopefully you just like love the shit out of your day job and you make so much money and then you squirreled away in investments and just, it just grows. But if you don't, um, realize that eventually you want to get to a point where like, think of Warren Buffett, you know, it's, he's not working for his money. He, his money is growing on its own. Think of owning a business, you know, think of a stock, all that, all that stuff. And so, um, with money, keep the 80-20 principle in mind. So I think that's the that's the extent of what I'm going to cover about Mr. Cox's book. It, it, it's good. It's very good. It, it, it's a little bit like, um, well, the 80-20 principle is in this discipline. Oh, oh and the 80-20 principle, I guess, yep, yep, it's, it's in tennis. It's in golf. It's in magic tricks. Yep, yep, yep. It's in sewer systems. It's in pooping. But keep keep that in mind. Keep the 80-20 analysis, 80-20 thinking, and then business, success, time, and money. If you keep the 80-20 principle mind in, in those disciplines, you will be successful. But now let me let me jump into a few personal examples. So I think I think maybe the the most personal example for me is my personal happiness. Um, so growing up, I did martial arts and it was my purpose. It was like the best in the world. Um, I, I started wrestling, I did jujitsu, I started training MMA. It like, it was clear to me that this was, this was all I really needed in my life to be happy. Um, and the good news is like, I thought that I had this path and like, maybe I wouldn't have been the best fighter ever, but like. Fighting was so fun. I mean, it was like going call going to college to kick people's asses. It was it was, it was amazing. Um, and then, like an idiot, I got surgery on my ankle because I broke my ankle. And then I came back two months later. I hadn't lifted legs in two months. And I thought, you know what? Let me try to get let me try to get that get that back real quick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna I'm gonna max out. And so I have good I have good leverages for deadlifting. And so I I get down into a, into a deadlift and I, I deadlift 405, which is is kind of a lot, but not that much compared to like um compared to men. And so I I, I get into the hole, I, I pick it up and I just get to the top and I just feel I feel like a, just a, a taser into my spinal cord and pelvis and I lower the weight and dude I know something's fucked. I'm like I just broke my back and basically I spent like three years in nine out of ten pain and you know I, I just like had to quit rugby during the season I had to you know never do another martial arts class and I kept thinking like yeah you know when in six months I'm gonna I'm gonna it's gonna heal and I'm gonna get back and you know yeah okay I'll be 23 then but like if I work really hard and I don't have any friends like I can still be a successful fighter then it was like I was 23 and a half and then I'm like god damn it okay well um if I'm thinking about this logically the chance if I get back into fighting that like I would do well is low because you know my wife can she can like lay on my back and it's weird but like she like lays my back and then like ah, I'm a turtle I'm a turtle and I'm like get the fuck off of me and and I can't move and I'm like used to I used to pin grown men and fight men and like my wife's this dainty little lady and she's stuck on my damn back like a turtle shell and I'm just I'm just emasculated it, it's terrible but my back was so fucked up and so you know I had to I had to basically give up my favorite thing ever, and I had to think through well, what's actually important to me. And I'm not—I'm not lying. I, I read this book, or you know, maybe a little bit before that, and then this principle. I thought about it every day, and and I realized that that the the three things that are really important to me are being uh, really fit. So like kind of like bodybuilding but like i don't even like to say that because i'm so fucking small and maybe it's maybe i have bigorexia but whatever so but I, I like to be like hybrid functional but we'll say fitness the second is is business um you know getting rich as hell sounds like a pretty good goal and um and then the third is being a martial artist and i, I had to broaden the definition of what that meant because i can no longer you know do mma even taekwondo like i can i could I could 
kick someone's ass, but then I'd have to lay on the floor for three weeks. So like in the moment, I'd be okay. After the moment, I would not be okay. But I broaden that to archery and pistol competitions. And so, you know, in my life, I try to structure my entire life around those three things. And uh, it it took a while because I was I, I realized I defined myself so much by like, oh yeah, I'm the guy who is really good at martial arts. I'm the guy who's like, yeah, oh, hit me in the head. And, um, but I, I, I'm now at peace. You know, even right now my feet are numb and my back is at a five out of 10 and it's like eight years later. But hey man, at least not a nine out of 10. So 80-20 principle, what are the things I care about the most? And then I'm just gonna structure my life around that. And good news, I'm way happier. Uh, one, well, a couple more examples, uh, cold calling. So I was a financial advisor, but what they don't tell you is that before you can advise clients, you got to go find them. And so I started with like 20 other people and this is like directionally correct, but I, it ended up, I, I was the last man standing and I ended up leaving eventually too. But you know, our job was basically go find money. And so there's no help, no leads, no nothing. And so what the day-to-day -day looked like is building all these lists, calling these lists, emailing people on LinkedIn, going to networking events. And I, and you know, my first, I don't know, first three weeks, I spent like 30 hours building a list. And dude, I'm like, I can be detail oriented, but I was like, I was looking out the window like jump just do it just kill yourself and i'm like oh god damn it this is not good and i know some people were actually suicidal i was not really but like it really 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 sucked and so i i was like 80 20 here 80 20 here what uh what is the 80 20 and i realized that the two things that were spending that were that were taking the majority of the time for all these other trainees who were like fucking failing out. You know, it's like, oh, that one's dead, leave him behind. That guy's dead too, leave him behind. Is building the lists and learning about investments. Because the average dude would come in and he would spend 20 hours building lists. He would spend 10 hours learning about investments and tracking the market. And then he'd spend like 10 hours half-heartedly cold calling. And was like, this doesn't work. So what I did was I hired a virtual assistant from Albania off of Udemy. No, that's a training site. Upwork, Upwork, Upwork. And Armira Fatoshi. You can link dinner. She's great. She's very busy. So I tried to have her help me with stuff, but she done she done moved on past me. But I, I basically she lived in Albania and you know I, I like found actually found three virtual assistants that, that were on this this marketplace and i paid 10 bucks to each of them and i'm like hey do this task for me just like almost like a ghetto ass interview and you know one guy didn't do it the other guy was like horrible and armira did it perfectly and i said okay cool i'm gonna i'm gonna give you this first project and i gave her there was like 12 pdfs of the yellow pages and i had her I gave her some criteria like like an airplane flight checklist like hey if it's in this industry and these criteria matter find the owner's name like google them find the website put this in the excel sheet exactly this way and so i gave her that and she, and you know i was like uh, i'll make you an offer i'll do it for like 80 bucks for the, the first time which is like 40 hours of work is unethical uh, but you know exchange rates she hey she wouldn't have done it if she didn't didn't find value in it and so she did it, she did it perfectly. And I said, guess what, Armira? I've got eight weeks of project for you. And I ended up paying like 800 bucks. And she worked for me for like 30 hours a week and I paid 800 bucks. Oh my God, that's like, that's highway robbery. But she built me a 2000 name cold call list. So all of that work that all my trainees were fucking doing, I outsourced it, delegated it, and then I just spent my time calling. And then I also consciously did not learn anything about investments, basically. So I was like, ah, I'm kind of good at sales. Like, we'll just call all these people and, and you know, like I'll fucking figure it out. And uh, eventually I started getting some clients and 
I realized that the 80-20 on keeping your clients is uh, actually knowing what the fuck you're talking about when they when they ask you questions. So they're like, well, what do you think about interest rates? I'm like, mm, I don't think about interest rates, I just do sales. But I'm like, well, that's, that's not a good answer. I'm like, well, I think that they are low. And they're like, yeah, I know, but where do you think they're gonna go? And I'm like, well, Nassim Teller wrote a book called The Black Swan that basically says everything's unpredictable, so we need to set up your strategy and not worry about it. But the real answer was, bitch, I don't fucking know. So I ended up reading a textbook on modern portfolio theory. And like, I, I actually still though, couldn't get over the fact that everybody is always like optimizing, 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 like like going in and it's minutely adjusting their portfolio and rebalancing this and rebalancing that. And it's like the 80-20 the on all this shit is buy four ETFs and just dump your money into them and then you know, you until you have two million dollars, you don't need to get any more sophisticated than that. But whatever. Um, and, and, and I guess, I guess the last example is this podcast. So I am trying my best to make life-changing content. You know, I, I looked at the the whole, all the inputs of this podcast, and I'm like, if if this content is fucking great, that is the twenty percent. You know, that's the twenty percent that gives me eighty-seven percent of the benefit, and then. As you guys might have noticed, everything else is barely passable. Like it's ghetto as hell. But I figure each week, I'm just kind of slowly improving some of that administrative shit. Like I had this big blank spot on my website for like two weeks and uh, I deleted it a couple days ago. Look at that, moving up in the world. But eventually that unimportant or less important stuff will get better and I'll you know, maybe pay somebody or like just by exposure, uh, you know, it's like sharpening a knife. Like if you end up sharpening a knife for long enough, like even if you kind of suck, it's gonna get sharper. And so, uh, but if the content sucks, then no one's gonna care. And so I, I, I think, I still think about the 80-20 principle all the time. Now, I have a caution. And uh, right after I read this book, because Dude, Mr. Cock, he just goes hard for this. Like, I bet he's got an 80-20 tattoo. I bet he's gotten into a fight at a party uh, because someone was, like, cleaning up. And he's like, no, let the cleaning lady do it. God damn it. And, and they're like, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. He's like, 80-20. And so, um, you know, like, right uh, right out of school, right after I read this book, like, I, I truly did not do anything that wasn't the 20% that I decided. So like cleaning, like I paid my my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, to clean. Um, I wouldn't waste any time. And I'd feel this, I'd feel this like guilt, like it was so obvious to me that what I was spending my time on, if it wasn't the 20% was bullshit, that like I would get, ang not anxiety, but like stressed out, like this is a fucking waste of time, this is a waste of time. Um, and, and I kind of, I felt like working hard was a bad thing. Cause you know, this book is like, don't work that hard, just do the most important stuff. But sometimes you don't know what the most important stuff is. And there's just a, there's just an intrinsic benefit as a human being to, to working hard. And also some of, some of this is just outside your control because I was, you know, I was right out of college working that shitty call center job, just read this. And I'm like, how is this in line with the 80, 20 principle? How is this in line? And so, you know, the week I spent my weekends just like reading books, trying to get smarter, trying to eventually maybe one day start a company, who knows? Um, but, uh, I, I think that balance is important. You know, you need to, you need to understand that this distribution is is probably true and that there's a lot of things that you know you um arguably should not be doing so like building a fence you know you could make a great argument that building a fence uh just pay somebody but if you know you and your wife go and build the fence together or you and your friend or you know it's uh, you're learning a new skill or something um you know, yeah, you could argue opportunity cost wise, oh, look, your time's worth so much money and everything like that. But I have found that a slightly more balanced approach is better because there was one, uh, there was there was one between one of my jobs, uh, I had I had 
and negotiated it pretty well. I had like six weeks of fun employment. So I already had a job, so I was great. I had enough money and I just, I just worked out and just drank whiskey and uh, it was great. But I realized that I don't always spend my time that productively because I spent probably, I don't know, two of those weeks straight just playing this game Red Dead Redemption and like not even playing it correctly just like let me see if I can kill the sheriff yeah I killed the sheriff oh let me see if I can kill the dog oh, 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 oh I didn't think I'd be able to kill the dog and um, you know and then and then playing poker inside of the game so like the shitty video game poker on Red Dead Redemption I spent a bunch of time playing that and I think after I had that I realized that you know Left to my natural devices, I'm not always the most productive. So like, yes, keep the 80-20 principle in mind, but don't freak out if, you know, you power wash your deck when you could be studying for your MBA. Or, you know, you hack a barn down with a sledgehammer because it kind of just like felt good, even though there maybe was a smarter way. So as usual, heifers, that's a lot. But what I want to burn from my mind to yours is that any situation, any task, any relationship, anything, everything. Start with the thought process. I bet that this is an 80-20 distribution. Look for the critical few things that are super important and fucking discard the rest. You might be ridiculed. You might be called odd. But, but figure out what is the positive 20%. So what are the few things that are contributing to the, the positives here? And then figure out what is the negative 20%. So we got a problem here. What are the few things that are causing this problem? And hammer that shit down. Because just like the famous maybe Gandhi quote, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. What, bitch? And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, The Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.